This is VLX number 123, the 11th hour. We are in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. VLX stands for Video Lexio Divina, the Patristic Bible Study and Ignatian Prayer Series Online. God give you his peace and omipachis fidi et spiritu santi. Amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. Amen. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Okay, and just a few things before we start. Most of you know my name is Father David Nix. I am a diocesan hermit with a rule of life accepted by my bishop and my diocese, making me kind of a monk missionary, which which is why I make these teaching videos. And I want you to know I am thinking of starting a Sunday sermon series for 2023, starting a Sunday sermon series that I will release really early Sunday morning. If I do this, I'm just thinking about it at this point. And it will start actually Advent of 2022. Um, The only thing is it's probably going to be podcast only, not video. So you'll have to find it on your phone. That's just because it takes me a lot less time to produce um, a podcast than a video. Of course, we'll keep going on the VLX and RCT and TCE series on all forms, both video and audio. But if I do do this Sunday sermon series for 2023, starting Advent of 2022, it will be audio only on the podcast version. Also, I'd encourage you to listen to one of the last Taylor Marshall podcasts I had on Father Ripperger, and he talks about how one of the very most important things to keep devils away is 15 minutes of daily meditation. Many of you probably heard that podcast on Dr. Taylor Marshall's show with Father Ripperger recently. And it's the last seven minutes that they quote St. Teresa of Avalon how daily meditation really is one of the very most important ways to keep demons at bay. 
And that's, I think, one reason is because demons have only intellects and wills, and they have a pretty good um, way to influence through our imagination the intellect. But if we fill our imagination and intellect with these scenes of Christ and the study of the church fathers, it's just a lot harder for them to get in. Okay, we're in Matthew 20 today, and this is a parable. And <laughs> You know, growing up, I was always very bored at parables, probably because it was city priests who hadn't studied the fathers trying to teach about farming, which always turns out really, really shallow. But when we see, as we will today, what the church fathers say about these parables, we're going to see they really come to life, not just in our lives, but really in the whole expanse of church history and others' lives. Today's parable happens right at the beginning of Matthew 20, or I should say Christ explains today's parable in Matthew 20. Where is that in the whole timeline of Jesus' birth and death? Well, Father Lapide tells us that right after this parable that you just heard read to you, right after this parable, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Obviously, that's only in John's Gospel, but Father Lapide has all this plotted out in his brain, timeline-wise, of the life of Jesus. And again, Father Lapide tells us that right after this parable, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And if you remember from John's Gospel, that's right when things speed up to kill Jesus. Why? Because the Pharisees are mad that he raised Lazarus from the dead. In fact, we're so close to Jesus' betrayal by Judas on this timeline of, of his life and death. Father Lapide tells us that Jesus raised Lazarus in March of the same Pascha he was killed. So we're really in the last month of Jesus' life, even though we have, like, what, eight more chapters of Matthew to, to go? And we're really going to probably have a whole more year of VLXs to focus on that last month of Jesus' earthly life. We're going to have six more chapters before we even get to Gethsemane. But in these next six chapters, we're going to see um, predictions of Christ's death, um, great teachings, outrageous miracles, and of course, the maxing out of the anger of the Pharisees in the next six chapters of St. Matthew. Now, don't be sad that it's going to still be a whole year before we get to the resurrection, Thank God, rather, thank God that we get to study our Savior so intensely that you get a whole more year for just this last month on earth before his death and resurrection. Before I read you the church fathers today, I want to go through each verse and give you a little bit of Greek that I got from maybe not every verse, but a lot of these verses. So let's look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Okay, now that word master of the house is just one word in the Greek, and that's oikodespote. Oikodespote, and you can probably hear the first half of that word is, if not the root, at least a cognate of the English word ecumenical, roughly meaning the whole house. So oikos means house. We've talked about that Greek yogurt, just means house, oikos. And then the second part of that word, that's where we get the English word despot. Despot sounds like a pretty nasty ruler, but the master of the house is not a despot. It's just, just a root or a cognate of the English word. Now, the Latin vulgate for that oikodespote, the Latin word is patrifamilius. You might recognize that as an English word. The English word I'm talking about is patrifamilius, and that is just the male head of a family. You can Google, Google patrifamilius or search. Someone corrected me once for saying Google. It doesn't matter what search engine you use. Search patrifamilius, and you can see that's not just a Latin term. 
That's actually an English word made up of two Latin words, even in English today. And that is who is in charge of this vineyard today, the oikodespot or the patrifamilias, who of course is good. I know despot doesn't sound good in English, but this is obviously God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit ruling over his church. And then his church here is the ampelona in Greek or the vineyard. And remember, with all the industrial farming these days, there's something still a lot more peaceful, I believe, about a vineyard than just like a giant field that's getting torn up by huge machines. I remember walking the Camino twice and being surprised how, even now in the 21st century, how many people still make a living in Europe with these non-industrialized vineyards. It's very beautiful. Verse number two. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Okay, now the word agreeing here, again, this is the owner of the vineyard and the workers. The word agreeing here is very interesting to me. It means literally sounding together. And in Greek, the word is symphonisas. Symphonisas means sounding together or agreeing. You can probably hear the English word symphony in there. Also, the root of where we get this, sounding together. Now, the people who agree to this, this one denarius a day, again, that's the Patrifamilias and the workers. And the people who agree, the workers are called ergaton in Greek. That's obviously where we get the English word like ergonomics, root word being work in both languages. So they agree to one denarius a day. And keep in mind that before we had so much inflation like we do on the world economy scene right now, it might be common in, in previous ages of world history to have a single item of currency for a whole day of work. So, for example, I did a little bit of research on this. In 1860, the average starting wage for common labor in the United States came to about a dollar a day. We're going to come back to that, but again, just to give you an idea why they agree to this. Again, in 1860, the average starting wage for common labor in the United States was about a dollar a day. Okay, verse 3 and 4. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to them he said... You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. Now we're going to hear that Father Lapide explains that the Romans began the day with our one at sunrise, and then they kind of foisted this on the Jews. Actually, I'll just cover it now. I won't read this later. But probably because of the heat, many of these workers start at dawn, which we'll consider at 6 a.m. today, which is really our one. So what we have in the last verse is while some workers are working, the owner of the vineyard goes into the town to see people just sitting around. What time are they sitting around? The third hour. So that's about 9 a.m. And they're standing there idle. But it's interesting that the Greek word for idle here is argus. That's the plural adjective. And in the singular, it's argos. And it just means unemployed, idle, lazy, careless, or useless. Now, it's important to keep in mind, this is the same word Jesus used in what we already covered in the past VLX when he said in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So notice in that quote from our Lord, we will be judged not just on, say, mean or gossipy words. We're going to be judged on every careless word, really any unnecessary word. Again, the adjective there is argos, meaning unemployed, idle, lazy, careless, or useless. So you have to ask yourself, how much of your speech all day is unemployed, idle, lazy, careless, or useless? 
We'll answer to God not just for mean speech, but even useless speech. We're going to answer for it all. Okay, verse 5 and 6a. Remember when we use A or B or C, it just means which part of the verse. So we're in verse 5 and 6a, the first half of 6. And we hear those workers go. So they went, says St. Matthew, going out again. About the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. Okay, so just from our earlier math, what the Romans gave to the Jews, obviously the sixth hour is noon, the ninth hour is about 3 p.m., and then the eleventh hour, which I'm naming this VLX, the eleventh hour is basically 4 p.m., right when they're about to wrap up the workday. So the workday is basically done, but still the owner of the vineyard goes into the town square and still is able to just uh, rodeo corral in a few more workers at this point. More people to pick a few grapes at the very last time of the day, the the 11th hour. And that's kind of a poetic term in English. But you know, for the Romans, it was just like around 4 p.m. Now, remember how I said in 1860, the average starting wage for common labor in the United States came to about, not exactly, about a dollar a day. Well, that's a whole day's wage, not just an hour. So you can kind of see what we're setting up here as far as the grumbling we're going to come to. Would it be fair for someone to get a full dollar in the field if you worked from just 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. when the other guys got out in the heat and they get only a dollar for working from basically sunrise to sunset? Is that fair? No, but that's just God's mercy to the nations that come late to the game and to individuals that come late to Christ and the church, especially through faith and baptism. So what we're going to see from the church fathers is that there are three ways to interpret today's parable. Father Lapide kind of scratches off the list, the first that the fathers give, because he, he finds some theological problems in it, and I agree with him, so we're not even going to jump into it. But there are two very excellent interpretations of today's parable that come from the church fathers, which are repeated by Father Lapide, and I'm going to kind of summarize them right here. The first, and by the way, they both come into to timelines, as you can imagine. The first interpretation of today's parable is this. It's all of church history, and really the issue is who comes late to the kingdom of God. So for example, we have these converted Jews who are the first Catholics. These converted Jews become those who form the Catholic Church. Um, well, really Jesus formed the Catholic Church, but most of the apostles were converted Jews. Some of them, some of the evangelists, like St. Luke was not. He was a Gentile who became uh, a disciple and an evangelist, and I think he's considered an apostle too. Um, and then we have later nations come to this vineyard, say, for example, North America or India or Africa, and they are producing saints also, saints out of the Gentiles, but they came late to this vineyard. Now, the second way to interpret this is the narrative of each man or woman's life. Okay, what do I mean by that? That means, well, think of this question. Who comes to Christ as a child in baptism? And then who converts as a teenager? And then who has this deathbed conversion? Maybe someone who lived a bad life and gets baptized on his deathbed with faith. Will that person attain heaven? I remember when I was a deacon before I was a priest, um, God gave me, through his grace, the soul of someone. Uh, he was kind of a, a very stubborn man who claimed to have no faith, but then I got to talk to him a week before he died, and it turns out he did have faith. He was just acting stubborn, and he did want to believe in Jesus, so I baptized him, and he died a week later. Does that person attain heaven? Well, yes, I don't think most of you would, would disagree with that, but we're going to see it kind of does bring up these questions of fairness that do the people who convert on their deathbed, do they get, do they get the kingdom? The answer is yes. Now, 
will they get the full reward? And we are going to see how merit plays through when we get to the fathers, because we're not Protestants who kind of believe in this socialist heaven where everyone gets the same heaven, but we are going to see that the deathbed converts do get heaven. We're still going through the different verses before we look at what the church fathers say. Verse 6b and 7, And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. Okay, now there's that word idle again. Again, meaning unemployed, idle, lazy, careless, or useless. Exactly what we don't want our words or our lifestyle to be. Now, on the analogy of these pagan nations, remember we're going to talk about these pagan nations who kind of came late to the game. These people who didn't know Christ. Are they given an excuse, a pass as I always call it? Are these, are these people given an excuse just to be lazy all day and not research the true religion? St. John Chrysostom says no. Why? Because they had natural law functioning in their heart. See, it's a really modernist idea for all of us to come up with all these excuses for everyone in all of history who never came to know Christ. And I think we're looking for passes for these people, not because we're actually merciful, but because we're lazy ourselves and we want to live in presumption. And so we foist that presumption on others and we call it mercy. So let me say that again. On this analogy of pagan nations who don't know of Christ, are they given an excuse to be lazy all day long? St. John Chrysostom, I will, I will read you that quote later, says no, because these nations did have natural law, even if they didn't have divine revelation of Judaism and Catholicism. Okay, verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Okay, now this is another one of those cases where we've heard that whether you go to the Novus Ordo or the traditional Latin Mass, we've read a thousand times over that and we, we kind of skipped the fact that something weird just happened. Did you notice which workers get called to get paid first? The Greek is apoton eschaton, heos ton proton. Okay, so eschaton, that's where we get the English word eschatology, meaning last things. Then we have that Greek word heos, meaning until or up till. And then the last word of verse 8 is proton, obviously meaning the first ones. So the last to the field get paid the first, kind of weird, and then the ones who were working all day from sunrise to sunset, they get paid last. So this is a setup for them to see how merciful the owner of the vineyard is. And we are going to see in verses 9 through 12, they do think it's unfair. Verses 9 through 12, And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Okay, so now let's review two things I said. Remember I said in 1860, the average starting wage for common labor in the United States was about a dollar a day. So that does show you that I'm not just trying to be relevant in that. I want to give you the idea that it's it could have been common in certain times of history for a single unit of currency to be paid for a worker for the whole day, just to get you into the psychology of where these workers are. And you can kind of see why they're mad. But how do the fathers, how do the Holy Fathers, the Orthodox Fathers, how do they interpret these mathematics? Again, there was three ways. We're only going to look at two. But they are, first, all of church history. Some come late to the kingdom of God. That's to say that Jews converted first, forming the Catholic Church, and then later Indian nations like India and Africa produced great saints, other Gentiles. 
And then the second way to interpret it, and I'm going to back this up with the church fathers later, the second way to interpret it is the narrative of each man or woman's life. That is, who comes to Christ as a child in baptism, who converts as a teenager, who has that deathbed conversion. And really, the church fathers give great arguments for both of these. So this just shows these nearly infinite layers of scripture that as long as we're sticking with the fathers, there's a lot of ways to interpret this. Uh, by the way, the Mormon church did not allow blacks, African-Americans or Africans, the Mormon church did not allow blacks in it until 1978. That's the year I was born. Now, how do they, as they look back, how do they justify such racism? Well, the Mormon church actually, if you can believe it, uses today's parable. We call it eisegesis, reading into it. They use today's parable as their excuse why blacks couldn't come to the Mormon church till 1978, which I think is hilarious. Search it if you want on the internet. Just search 1978 Mormons and blacks. Okay, so everyone who comes to the vineyard gets paid. Back to the Catholic interpretation here. Everyone who comes to the vineyard gets paid, even if you were super late. Now, the people who endured the heat of the day for just $1, of course, they're grumbling because they saw the guys who worked only one hour also got a dollar. And we're going to see the answer that the owner of the vineyard gives in verse 13 onwards. And it's this, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. And as I always brag about this Bible study, I have nothing to brag for because everything just comes from the fathers. And so everything I just told you, the little bit that I knew from the Greek, what I gave you from the fathers, now I'm going to read you Father Lapide so you can make sure that both of these gel together. The first half of today's podcast, which was me, and the second half, which is the Father. So here you go. Father Lapide points out that both the last and the first will enjoy the same eternal life in heaven. Nor will it hinder anyone that he has been called at the end of the world or of his own life. Did you hear that? Here we have the two interpretations in one sentence. It will not hinder anyone that he's been called at the end of the world or at the end of his own life and came to work so late in the vineyard of the church or of his own soul. This, says Father Lapide, is the interpretation of St. Jerome, St. John Chrysostom, St. Augustine, and St. Thomas Aquinas. So that dual interpretation of today's parable is St. Jerome, St. John Chrysostom, St. Augustine, and St. Thomas. We have East and West doctors of the church there. Now, if you read the Catholic mystics' descriptions of heaven, you will notice that there are many different levels of glory in heaven, and there's many different levels of pain in hell. That's not just Dante's heaven and inferno and everything. This is um, all the saints and the popes, all the mystics describe many different levels of glory in heaven and many different levels of pain in hell. Now, Protestants will often use today's parable against Catholics to, see, look, to say, look, uh, everyone gets this $1 whether you came early or late to the game. Everyone is equal in heaven. What's amazing is that really wasn't a huge error until Protestant came on the, Protestantism came on the scene in the 16th century. But what I'm going to read you from the Church Fathers, they were already grappling with this in the 3rd, 4th, and 5th century. Now, first of all, the, the, the Word of God, which is the Bible totally inspired, we already see this in St. Paul, the great hero of the Protestants. If you look in 
1 Corinthians 15.41, he writes, There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. That's in his section on the resurrection of the body. So already we see it in the Bible that there are different levels of glory. Of course, um, the Blessed Virgin Mary is at the highest level. Behind her is St. Joseph. But again, Protestants will often use today's parable to say, no, 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 no. Heaven's equal. Everyone who makes it there is at an equal level of glory. That's just not what the early Christians believed at all. But they did grapple with it. And Father Lapide wrote this around the year 1600. He says, you will say, how is it that in this denarius, the first and the last are equal, since the first excel the last in the felicity and glory of eternal life? The answer is that the same denarius denotes the same blessing generically and objectively, that is, the same divine essence, which is the object of beatitude. Okay, right there, by object of beatitude, he means heaven. And notice what he's saying is that those who are, say, deathbed conversions, they get the same heaven generically and objectively and in the divine essence of who they see. That's what's being asserted in today's parable. But again, that doesn't contradict what we just read in 1 Corinthians 15.41. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. And so Father Lapide continues on, which is the object of beatitude and the glory of the blessed. For this is one and the same thing which, in its manifestation, constitutes the happiness of all the blessed. But nevertheless, the enjoyment of it is different according to their different degrees of merit. Oh, there's the big M word that many Catholics today are super afraid of. They think when we use the word merit, it means we're pulling ourselves up to heaven by our own bootstraps, not by grace. That's not true at all. If you read St. Thomas Aquinas, he clearly makes it very clear we can't get to heaven without grace. But merit is a big part of the Catholic faith that we cannot be ashamed of. Um, the merit that we are given in the ascetical life of theology, even that comes from God's grace. So what we hear Father Lapide say is that for those who have served God with greater grace and labor, notice grace comes first, we're not talking about earning your way to heaven. For those who have served God with greater grace and labor, as those did who were called last, will behold God in a clearer vision and a more perfect vision, and therefore will have a fuller fruition of his love and of his other gifts and will be more blessed than those who serve God with less grace and labor. So says Pope St. Gregory the Great, and St. Augustine, and St. Jerome, and St. Thomas Aquinas. And then listen to what St. Augustine says. St. Augustine says, and by the way, he is also a favorite of Protestants, so I am actually very happy Protestants listen to this Bible study, but listen to what St. Augustine says. Eternal life is given to all. He's talking about everyone who's saved, not, not everybody who's ever lived. Eternal life is given to all, but there are many mansions for them, and one shall shine with more splendor than another. Uh, St. Robert Bellarmine, who lived in the time of the Protestant revolt, he knew about this debate, and he simply says that what we're looking at in this parable is an equality of eternity, not of glory or excellence. He could say things in so few words. What we see in the heaven promised in today's parable is an equality of eternity, but not of glory or excellence. St. Augustine says, Thou hast seen fit to pay an equal wage of life, but not of glory. And so to all is given the same denarius, because all the saints will reign without end, although not all will reign with the same eminence. In the same way, it is common to all the stars in the sky to glow perpetually, even though some sparkle more brightly than others. 
And of course, again, that's a reference to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 41. And then speaking of Catholic and Protestant stuff, a lot of Catholics think it was Protestants who added the chapter verses and numbers, all that, but really it comes back to, I think, the 11th or 12th century. So it was Catholics who added chapter and verses. But one of the things we have to remember, because everything's so divided in our kind of Cartesian minds in all these different numbers, is Christ wanted us to see all of the gospel um, kind of as a whole in some sense. And so Father Lapidy points out this line, If thou wilt be perfect, go sell what thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Remember, that was a VLX. seems to have absolutely nothing to do uh, with today, but it actually does. Because what we heard in the last VLX that we heard, we heard that rich men who here below have led an honest but comfortable life, keeping only the precepts of God in heaven shall be last. But the poor men who to the precepts have joined the evangelical councils and in poverty follow Christ and preaching the gospel shall be the first in heaven. So do you see how this first and last thing ties in from the last section all the way up till today? But as long as we're talking about salvation first and last, how do we see the Jews who were actually born before Jesus in his humanity, of course? Of course, the second person of the Trinity is from all of eternity. But what about the Jews? Again, since we're talking about first and last of the kingdom, how were the Jews saved before Jesus was born? Well, the cross is retroactive. If they followed their conscience, in some sense, they were following Christ. I'm not saying nowadays it's absolutely enough to follow your conscience to be saved. But it does grease the skids for perfect contrition to come in if you die before, say, you meet a missionary or someone who has the fullness of the faith. So Father Lapide says, For many among the Jews of every age before Christ feared God and kept his precepts and thus were saved. Of course, the Bible is full of many who didn't, and we can presume they went to hell. But again, many among the Jews of every age before Christ feared God and kept his precepts and were saved. He continues, by the day, he's talking about the parable, word the day, by the day is to be understood the course of this world through time, by the various hours, the different ages of the world, so that the first hour is the age from Adam to Noah, the second is that from Noah to Abraham, the third from Abraham to Moses, and the sixth from Moses to Christ, the eleventh hour from Christ to the end of the world, thus says St. Hilary and Pope St. Gregory the Great. Or, and this is where we can have a couple different interpretations of the whole timeline on this whole thing, or he says, the day is the life of each man, the first hour being infancy, the third his youth, the sixth manhood, the ninth old age, and the eleventh decrepitude, which he means your deathbed. Again, we have this whole look at these deathbed conversions. So if you've been living a holy life for a long time, don't think you have to go fall into mortal sin so you have a cool conversion story or something stupid like that. But St. Jerome, who did live a very holy life for a very long time, he gives a nod in the direction of people who were late converts. He says this, Do not, I repeat, weigh faith by years, nor suppose me better than yourself merely because I have enlisted under Christ's banner earlier than you. The Apostle Paul, that chosen vessel framed out of a persecutor, though last in the apostolic order, is first in merit. For though last, he has labored more than they all. A newly kindled heat is more effective than a long-continued lukewarmness. And then Father Lapide gives a nod to his fellow Jesuit who had just died before he wrote this. He says, How much St. Francis Xavier accomplished in 11 years in India. But notice that those who come late to the game, they're not totally off the hook. Verse 7 says, They say to him, Because no man hath hired us. 
St. John Chrysostom says, This is a vain excuse of slothful men, for God calls all to virtue from childhood, that is, to obey him and his church. St. John Chrysostom even says that the hiring is the promise of eternal life, but the Gentiles knew neither God nor the promises of God, so they say that they had not been hired, that is, called by preachers, though they had been called by the law and the light of nature. Isn't that amazing that even the nations on the, on the planet today that have not met a Catholic missionary or another missionary, uh, they still don't have full excuses. Why? Because even, and there are billions of people, by the way, who've never even heard of the saving message of Jesus Christ. Even they, in some sense, are responsible. Why? Because they've been called by the law and the light of nature. Of course, they're going to have a lot less to answer for than those Christians in the West who do reject Christianity. Let's look at the higher. Father Lapide says, The wage does not correspond precisely to the work, but to the merit. Those who came at the eleventh hour, that is, the Gentiles, called to Christ by the apostles, had more grace, and cooperated with grace more than the Jews who were first called and had been working longer in God's vineyard. So that's another way to interpret this, is that the early and the late is the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay, but then regardless of when we came to the vineyard, how do we really make sure our merit is the highest? This next line is so key. If you want the highest possible level of merit in heaven, it really comes down to charity. Shouldn't be a big shocker. If you read St. Thomas Aquinas, really every virtue redounds to charity or love. Father Lapide says, We may learn from this that a man may easily gain an increase of merit and glory if he practice frequent acts of charity with ardor and intensity, and perform all external works from charity and the love of God. Pope St. Gregory the Great says, Those who are called at the end of life are oftentimes rewarded before others, inasmuch as they depart out of the body into the kingdom before those who were called in childhood. Still, of course, you don't want to play Russian roulette with your soul. Very risky to wait into your deathbed to be converted and be baptized. You never know if you're actually going to make it in time, so don't be playing that game with your soul. But if that's how it shakes out, St. John Chrysostom says, They are called at the eleventh hour who are called in old age. Therefore, this parable was composed to quicken the zeal of those who are converted in extreme old age, so that they may not suppose that they shall have any less than others. And then let's look finally at verses 13 to 15. As you know, I read the ESV. Probably some of you especially didn't like 13 to 15 in the ESV. So let's see what the Dewey rhymes, which most of you are following, says, it says, But he answering said to one of them, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take what is thine, and go thy way. I will also give to this last, even as to thee. Or is it not lawful for me to do what I will? Is thy eye evil, because I am good? Then Father Lapide points out that in the Greek and the Syriac versions, it's put more forcefully, is it not lawful for me to do with mine what I will? Father Lapide says, an evil eye is an envious eye. And then we have this verse 16. We hear this line so many times in the Bible. We may have missed this also. It says, so shall the last be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean, many are called, but few are chosen? Well, we've talked about before how we as Catholics reject the five-point tulip view of the Calvinists that... Basically, God has wound up some people for heaven, other people for hell. We reject double predestination as Catholics, that God has made certain people for hell. That's obviously preposterous. But what does this mean that many are called, but few are chosen? 
I really love Father Lapide's explanation because he says, All are called to grace and to the keeping of the commandments, but few are chosen to extraordinary grace and to the keeping of the evangelical councils. Remember, we talked about that last time, that the evangelical councils are poverty, chastity, and obedience. Maybe not everyone can live that. So again, Father Lapide says, All are called to grace and to the keeping of the commandments. This is why we know God wills all to be saved. But few are chosen to that extraordinary grace of keeping the evangelical counsels of poverty and chastity and obedience. And then very last thing today, I know this has been a long VLX. I do want to just give you the time frame one more time. Father Lapide says, Here is brought to conclusion the narration of the events of the third year of Christ's preaching ministry. For a short time after telling this parable about the laborers, he raised Lazarus from the dead, which resuscitation took place in March, after which, in the same month and year, which was Christ last year, he was crucified and died. Therefore, all of the following things which Matthew narrates, he's talking about the rest of Father Lapidus' book and the rest of my VLX sessions, until the end of his gospel took place in this March, shortly before Christ's passion. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio de omnipotentis, Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, descendet super vos et maniet semper. Amen. <laughs>